This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good point. The 10th win means a lot to them. Dungey, though, going backwards, somehow got the pass completed. And across midfield, here comes the orange. Still going, Moneal. What a play. Inside the five. Uh, remember the good old days when after, <laughs> after that play, Syracuse won a bowl game to go 10-3, and three, and we all thought giving Dino Babers an extension and a massive buyout was a good idea. Welcome to the Disloyal Idiots podcast, where not five years later, that has turned out to be an awful idea, and Syracuse has fired Dino Babers with immediate effect. I'm Christian Guzman, joined, not as always, but this week by Andy Pregler and our special guests and friends, Mike Ostrowski and Dominic Chapone. Gentlemen, yeah, interesting day to wake up to, huh? Yeah, that was uh now keep in mind I was up late watching the game last night, so I was barely up for like maybe a half hour when the news broke. And it to say it came out of nowhere is a vast understatement. I, I'm surprised Andy is actually but... also here with us, mainly because he will he, we were watching the game on TV. Andy had to witness the game person <laughs> live. And 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 probably suffered numerous mental breakdowns at the same I'm, time. There's a photo. I'll post it in the News Magician Slack. Uh, for you <laughs> I've seen the photo. It's <laughs> glorious. I was going to say, Christian, when you asked me to join the pod, I thought it was more because Andy couldn't make it. Uh, <laughs> Andy, let's just have you. <laughs> that, was a, that was originally going to be the thing if Andy, if the amount of beverages that Andy consumed last <laughs> night was at a level where he, where it would make him hard, it would make it hard for him to move this morning. It Which was, was a very real possibility last night. Yeah, I, I think that the the biggest challenge issue that I had during that game was not necessarily um, my level of uh, beverages consumed. It was more just that I was in a box with a bunch of Georgia Tech fans, and there were many questions asked to me, such as, why doesn't Garrett Trader throw the ball? Why isn't Garrett Trader in the game? Why is the number 86 or a number 88 taking snaps at quarterback? Why is your running back taking more snaps than the guy who started the game taking snaps? And it just made me realize it's like that moment where you've been so inside of something that when you get pulled out of it, you realize, oh my gosh, we, this is not the way things are supposed to work. That is literally uh, where my brain went during this game. Like having these, these fans that grew up with the triple option go, what you guys are doing is absolutely batshit crazy. This is a bad idea. Um, and then they were going crazy because Georgia Tech almost gave them back the game, which I think is why it's really interesting that this decision was made when it was made because that game was super frustrating on pretty much every level. And it almost would have been better if it was a blowout. Like the fact that they clawed back into it made the loss that much worse. 
And I think I, I put this in the uh, in our new Slack. That game was basically a microcosm of Dino Babers' his entire career with the Syracuse Orange, and that you know there is there is quality in this team, and somehow, some way, they'll find a way to eke out that quality and show it. However, there are other mitigating factors that prevent them from ever realizing their full potential. And a lot of it also just goes back to the head coach. And you start last night with Syracuse probably wins that game if it commits half the penalties that it does. To to interject real quick, uh, if you think about this philosophically, this also is a reminder of the – Babers era ever since he signed that contract in 2018, which is just so much ho- a glimmer of hope. And in that comes just total despair because it, it is serious. I feel like the issues that a lot of people brought up in the Slack channel with the penalties, with just costume mistakes, uh, the failure to execute kind of late seven yard field goal, An- another again. special teams mistake uh, yet again. These are all things we've been talking about what it feels like for like years now. And, I know Mike and Dom, you guys are quote-unquote new to Syracuse, but Andy and I have been here throughout the entire Dino era, and it's just it's really unfortunate to see that problems that we saw last night were also problems that we saw at the beginning of Dino Baber's tenure as the Syracuse head coach. And that just, for some reason, were never fixed. We're talking about massive penalties, coaching decisions that seemed to get less and less aggressive as he grew into the job, the lack of depth, bringing in players when others got inevitably went down. All of those just kind of culminated into what we saw last night and the eventual decision this morning to fire Dino Babers. Yeah, I think one of the the interesting things about this timing is that it's really obvious that a bowl game wasn't going to just save Dino. So we were in a situation where it appeared after the BC game and after the VTech game that you could have pulled the trigger at any point there. And I think this is going to be one of the more interesting pieces of journalism that we're going to have to do some digging on, or, you know, more likely someone on Syracuse.com is going to do some digging for this. Um, we saw at Texas A&M the reason that Jimbo Fisher was fired when he was fired was because of the meeting schedule of the boosters that controlled the purse strings to allow a giant buyout of that nature to take place. And while we don't know Dino's exact buyout, it's been reported by several outlets to be somewhere in the neighborhood of nine to 10 million. And we were under the expectation that next year was his last year one year 9 million buyout feels a bit strong for me i'm i personally speculate that there might be another year at play or there were options that needed to get bought out as part of it and that was like part of the original mega extension that he signed like it was a, a layer of protection for dino at syracuse there and i wonder if wild hack was kind of in the same boat where it was a taking time to gather up the necessary funds to pay whatever the buyout is going to be. Um, But the part that really gets me is they waited until after the Georgia Tech game to do it. Okay. I think that watching that game, you can justify 
the firing by pretty much any means because of what, you know, you guys are saying here with how that game was just consistently what Dino has been and what his shortcomings have been on the field. Once you start factoring in the shortcomings off the field, the the whole thing does appear to be in a situation where in a year with a very light cycle, and I know we're going to get into this soon, but uh, there's not a ton of openings right now that directly compete with the pool that Syracuse is going after. And I think that is really important in this decision-making process because the next guy is stepping into arguably the hardest job in Power 5, not just because of the challenges at Syracuse, but because of the uncertainty around the ACC and because of the uncertainty around where college football is heading in an extended playoff world. What does this all mean? No one really knows. And so you'd be, you're asking someone to make a long-term commitment to Syracuse in a space where we don't know where Syracuse football is going to stand in five to seven years. And I do think that that matters in this coaching search discussion as we talk about names that run the gamut from 38 years old, never had a head coaching job before, to 65 years old and still looking for that first big job. I think all of those factors really do come into play. You can spin them however you want to spin them. But in the end of the day, like this is probably the most challenging situation available on the marketplace, you know, this, this season. And I think before we get into all, all of those on why this job is hard and the reason why potential candidates that have been re- reportedly floated out there would or would not take this job, I think that it's good to at least still take a further look into why Dino Babers never got back to the heights of that 10 and three season, because I, there were, there was a reason why he got that extension. It's because, you know, Syracuse hasn't had a season like that 2018 season since the Pascaloni era. And especially since after the good feel of that year, you know, it, it felt like the program was going in the right direction, but the problems that we already brought up just weren't enough to overcome in terms of the lack of depth in certain key positions and then, you know, the lack of composure in terms of on-the-field level-headedness as well. So, yeah, I, no, I, I think... Like you. Yeah, I was gonna say, Mike. Feel feel free to jump in whenever you guys want to. I'm just gonna I'm gonna toss out ideas there, and if you guys want to comment on it, go ahead. I guess going back to the discipline thing, it it feels like that's really still been the biggest issue. You you can make arguments about the, the recruiting, the challenges that Dino faced, and there are very legitimate challenges that he faced getting people coming to Syracuse. I think he actually did a pretty decent job getting guys in the portal this last year compared to years before. But it doesn't really matter if you can't coach them and get them to be disciplined. And above all else, those stupid penalties, and it's not just the uh, – it's not even just the, the false starts. It's the unnecessary – like the, the late hits, the – unnecessary roughness, all that kind of stuff that has doomed SU for years, that the dumb mistakes, the heat of the moment mistakes is why 
they've lost a lot of games close. And then at the end of the year, it feels like, man, we really should have been a lot better than we were. Not because the team itself is necessarily great at any point, but just because those are the those penalties are the ones that you remember. Because you think, well, if this didn't happen, then B, C, and D also don't happen, and we win. That may not be the best train of thought all the time, but that seems to be what the general consensus with the fan base is right now, is that that above anything else, that's why people wanted Dino gone. And whoever comes in next, I think that's got to be priority number one, is just run a much tighter ship that, than Dino did. Mike, you and I talked about it a lot, especially it's our positions are interesting because Christian and you guys talked about being there since the beginning. Mike and I kind of had it on campus since the middle to the end here where you come into the weird COVID year where we win one game and then you kind of see a little bit of progress with the next year in, in 21, they go five and seven. And then we get these last two years, which was just the biggest roller coaster. The 6-0 start, best start since 87, the fall from grace after Clemson, another good start this year only for Babers to be gone, you know, not even through the, after the, after the season. So I think that that's one point that I think is important. I think the other thing too, is that I know Kevin's brought up this point a lot. Um, I know guys here have brought this up a lot is that Babers is definitely a microcosm itself of what's been wrong with Syracuse football. But we also know that there's going to be structural changes that will have to happen with treatment of NIL, replacing guys in recruitment. I think a common theme that's happened the last few years. This is just a, a very broad point is that we've seen massive under changes with women's basketball, men's basketball, and potentially in the next little bit here with the new coach men's of uh, with football, just not only about changes with the head of the program, I think with the direction of the program relative to catching up to the broader NCAA landscape. I think that's saying that I, the moment Babers was fired, I think that points out to me more than anything. And I think when he was initially hired, there was definitely the sense of, you know, was bringing a more modern style to Syracuse because, you know, the only thing we really knew about Dino Babers when he was hired was, oh, he is from the Baylor system from the early 2010s that ran amok with RG3 at the wheel. And so it was always known as, you know, the, the mantra orange is the new fast was the first thing that we knew about Dino Babers. It was going to be no huddle spread offense are going to push the tempo and, you know, basically outwork opponents. And at least in the quote unquote honeymoon years, that was an attractive style of football. Um, and you saw it when um, Amba Adetabo and Steve Ishmael put up those big, big receiving numbers that, okay, the wins might not, might not be here, but at least it's a modern style of football that's catching to the eye and should, in theory, allow Syracuse to attract recruits just based on the premise of this is an exciting brand of football that will get you to the next level. However, it just doesn't seem like it just seems like as even, you know, football has quickly, quickly evolved from when Dino was hired to where it is now. It just doesn't feel like he's adjusted in the same way to keep up an attractive style of football to attract the same type of recruits that maybe he initially would have at the beginning of his tenure. Just so we don't also lose the point real quick, Andy, I love the, whenever there's like a coaching change, the fascinating thing I always look at is like the why of it and the when. And 
I remember I did a story. It was after the BC loss. So they were still, we haven't seen the Virginia Tech loss. I hadn't seen the pit win. And obviously last night, but Wild Hack was super vague, obviously on the whole terms of like, what would happen if Babers was this record? He didn't answer any speculative questions, but he said November was the important month. The goal was the bowl game. Um, him getting can- Babers getting canned before Syracuse still has one more chance to get the bowl game. I think it was fascinating. Um, and obviously, again, we don't know the necessary behind the scenes aspect of that, but it's obviously a message maybe to whether it's to the fan base, whether it's to the alumni, whether it's just to the broader community, just the him not being let go at the end of the season and him being let go in the mayor that it happened like this weekend, I think is just super, super interesting to watch for. I do th- at least think that obviously we haven't been told this officially, but I, I want to think that they more or less told him like, yeah, do you know, you're going to be gone at the end of the year. Do you want to coach this last game at home or are that's you what happened? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Andy, Christian, you're the vets here. What do you, what do you guys think about that? It, was there maybe a, a Schaefer situation again, or do they just did he just? I mean, the Schaefer situation. Out? I mean, the Schaefer situation was entirely different for reasons that uh, I I can share off off air, but I can't share on air. <laughs> um, that I am more than happy to dive into. But f- for this situation, I I do think. So when I the weird thing about being at a game in person, especially when you're in like the suite level of a stadium, is that there's a lot of people in suits running around and walking around very importantly. And I'm very lucky that in my time period doing this, I've made a lot of friends with those types of people. Um, and so when I go to a game in person, I get a lot more scuttlebutt and weird information that I don't normally get via text or whatnot. And I was able to chat with some people that I hadn't chatted with in a while. And they did say to me, multiple people told me, um, Wild Hack was at the game. He was not socializing. He was not fundraising. He was watching the game because they brought down other people whose job was was to fundraise, was to do some of the recruiting stuff that, that normally happens on road trips to these major cities like Atlanta. Like I think something that we forgot about that I got reminded of um, was that when the ACC scheduling model got changed, Dino was one of the largest criticizers of it because he realized that Syracuse would only be in Atlanta once every four to eight years. And for him and his staff, that was that was a huge miss in terms of recruiting because they wanted to hit the Atlanta and North Florida areas pretty aggressively. And those games against Florida State, Georgia Tech, Miami – gave them opportunities to get into these areas. Um, so that the fact that wild hack was very obviously clued into the game makes me think that he already had the okay and the buy-in from the football alumni to make the decision one way or the other, because if the alumni association really did feel strongly one way or the other, and the boosters felt really strongly one way or the other, a decision would have been made already. Um, But what this tells me is that the boosters and the alumni who matter trust Wild Hack's decision-making. And Wild Hack saw something in this game that put him over the edge to say, you know what, it's time to move on. The obvious answer is like the discipline, the fact that this game really didn't feel any different than a lot of other, other Syracuse games under Dino, especially on the road. Um, but I do think like one of the things that that blew me away was the handling of the last five minutes of that game. 
like you get into a position where you somehow can make this a one score game. And he was right to go for the two point conversion when he did, like, you don't know if you're going to get it again. Like, don't, you know, don't kick the extra point and then put a do or die situation. Like I, I liked the decision a lot that he made by going for two, but the play call was just remarkably terrible with a team when everybody knew exactly what play you were going to run. Um, and so now you're down two scores and you somehow get the ball back with an opportunity to maybe get a Hail Mary, maybe get a miracle of some kind. And the end result is to put it in the hands of an unproven, untested quarterback because you can't throw the ball with anybody else. Like the decision making that goes into that. The decision, the the amount of stuff you're giving away in scouting to say, like, look, we needed to move the ball down the field quickly, and we couldn't, so we had to put in a, a, a quarterback who has no business playing in this game. And the reason he has no business playing in this game is because of the decision that he made uh, on that on that play. Like, it to me, that is just such mismanagement, not just of the game, but of everything that leads up to a game. Like, you... You only get 40 hours a week with these kids. You only get so much time when you can, you know, effectively teach and communicate with these kids what is supposed to happen. And I think what you see in situations like this is you find out the coaches that can do more than just call X's and O's. You find out which coaches can do a lot more than just shake the hands of the right donors and say the right quotes on his radio show. Like, I think Dino came into Syracuse with a blueprint of how to fix Syracuse and it worked. And then midway through his tenure, the entire sport fundamentally changed with the transfer portal and NIL and Dino could not adjust on the fly. And I, it's really unfair, but it happened. We've seen a lot of coaches struggle and, and have to look for other jobs, but we've also seen a lot of coaches like Nick Saban prove why they get paid what they get paid because they adjusted very quickly and they didn't miss a beat because they had that infrastructure. They had that process in place to say that, look, while the outcome or an input might change here or there, we, we still know what we need to do in those 40 hours a week with these student athletes to have the best outcome as pot, like to have the best possible outcome. And for me, I think that's like, Part of this hiring cycle for me is going to be to see if Syracuse prioritizes that kind of thinking or do they prioritize name recognition because this program seems so apathetic? Do they prioritize young hotshot coordinator because they want to play a certain type of way? Like, I don't know any of these things, but I think like Dom, what, what you're kind of saying here is like, we're going to find out so much about wild hack and what kind of things are important to him based off of how this hiring process goes through and what names get associated with them. Because like last thing I'll say before I shut up is that like, I've, I was going through old 2015 Syracuse.com articles about Dino's hiring today and got reminded that Syracuse wanted Scott Frost. That was the guy that they wanted oh, right. above everybody yes. else. I remember. Yeah. And he picked UCF. So then we offered the job to Chris Ash who said no and went to Rutgers and went eight and thirty three, like yeah. Thank thank God for thank that. God. As as yeah. I and, was reading, and and in a dramatic irony of circle, the same guys taking over the interim tag for both Chris Ash and Dino Papers. Yeah. 
that's what I was it's, getting at. I, I was I was looking up like how did he get the interim and oh yeah, this guy was really really bad in New Jersey. And yeah, that led to it led to uh, a coach getting fired four games into the year, which Jesus, he must have that. <laughs> I mean, Chris so, Ash was so you, you mentioned in our Slack, Christian. Uh, he has trademarked it. We are now officially in New Jersey's college team. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why they come on you irons, but let's go. <laughs> no, they. I, I. But this is the thing. Like that was. I. I think that move also says a lot because. You have Rocky Long just chilling there on the sideline, who's been a head coach longer than everybody else on staff has been coaching. And they still made the decision that they did. And I think to me, that signifies like, look, this guy's role as the New Jersey recruiter is really important to us. Like what this guy has done in the short time that he's been at Syracuse is really important to us. Like that was made clear with like Tony White's elevation to associate head coach before he left. Um, while under wild hack, they've, they've been very clear on signaling what coaches matter and go above and beyond outside the head coaching circles. And, and I think that it does kind of shed a light on that. We're probably looking at a head coach with either Northeast ties with Syracuse ties or, or with some sort of proven player acquisition pipeline that can that can be easily transported over to Syracuse from wherever the coach is currently at and I do think that this is like again it's really funny because we're this process is not going to be linear in any way shape or form the last time I would argue that Syracuse probably made the right choice when choosing between Scott Frost Chris Ash and Dino Babers um that was also the year that Brocko Mendenhall got hired who's now a name that's been floated for this job like that 2015 cycle was insane. And when you look at the guys that actually hit and were the right choice at the, like at the time they were all the unsexy names or they were the out of left field names. And I think that that's like a good reminder as we go into this process that like, just because Syracuse isn't talking to the person we think they should be, isn't necessarily a bad thing. If they're looking at the right, the right things to fix what Dino couldn't fix. To, to kind of bounce off that real quick, just looking at, like, again, I'm looking at things from, like, me being predominantly a basketball fan, but obviously still, like, having a keen interest with football. But if you look at with Syracuse, the last two hires with Leggett Jack with the women's team and then Autry with the men's team, the two common themes with those coaches were culture setter and knew what they were doing in the modern NCAA. And I think I'm, I'm guessing if you're wild, like if I had to make the very way too early prediction – I've, I would hope that, like, we all agree, I think, to not just go for a big name because big names will not necessarily equal great program. So and we've everyone seen... in the comments, stop saying Jimbo Fisher, yes, Urban I... Meyer, Ed Orgeron. No. We've seen, we've, seen this, uh, let's see. we've seen this plan Dan and worked Mullen horribly. Dan was in there. Dan Quinn was in there. No, no. Just no. Um, as no, always, no, my, no my New England Patricia. coordinators for coaches either. None of them. Please. <laughs> Yeah, so like, but I think we we agree like that's the arc like as Andy's saying it's the archetype of coach we're looking for. I think is somebody who can, who can set the tone early. Who I also think is just adaptive of what this modern college football landscape looks like, which is that you have to recruit heavy in areas. We saw again with both coaches their specializations with DMV or the, with the Washington DMV area with Autry or with past players Leggett Jack. I think that's the sort of relationship that Syracuse football as a brand I think has got to start fixing. 
uh, equally as much as kind of beyond the field issues with the penalties and with the the shortcomings and the mistakes at the end of games. So two things. Um, we don't we don't use that word here. <laughs> Brand. We don't hashtag use that word. Here. Um, hashtag. Um, <laughs> Speaking speaking of the guy who coined the term hashtag brand, um, it's not the guy I'm about to mention, but Dom and Mike, do you know the name Mark Coyle? Hmm. More or less. Uh, I'm flat out of no. I got to be honest here. Mark Coyle was the Syracuse AD for one year before he went to Minnesota, which was his dream job before initially, initially saying that Syracuse was his dream job. But besides that, Mark Coyle was the one who hired Dino Babers. Not Wildcat. So this is going to be the first time, and hopefully the only time, that Wildcat is hiring a football coach. And like Tom said, right now, in terms of the the five dome sports, let's put it that way, every single person in the five dome sports has been a Syracuse alum, like Tom said, with a an interest with a tie to set culture to the modern game. And we're not just talking about basketball. Dom, you mentioned it also with lacrosse um, in our Slack channel with lacrosse, Gary Gain and Kayla Trainer. You know, those two programs are basically Northeast baseball to, in terms of what, you know, baseball is to the, to the Southeast Conference. Like, Trainer and Gate were, you know, big names, but were, but definitely had the allure of, making Syracuse a bit more modern and also attracting a attracting a recruiting base. And I think that's also going to be really important because one of the hidden factors in all of this in terms of who Syracuse is going to choose with its new head coach is that the recruiting class that's actually coming in for Syracuse this year is pretty good. It's better than what we've seen from them most years. There's a lot of high three-star recruits in terms of 24-7's uh, star rankings. And obviously with a head coaching change, um, it's going to be one of the biggest things to do is to actually hang on to some of those recruits. Um, so it would probably behoove Syracuse to choose someone who can – connect with those recruits really quickly and make them and see their pitch as an attractive way to play football and to stay with Syracuse. I, I think yeah, it's just, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting because the portal is going to take away a lot of guys on this team um, flat out. Like that's what happens when there's a coaching change and Unless there's a name that John Wildhack has already got on the shortlist and he's already called them and he's already worked out that this is going to happen at the end of the season or it's going to be announced sometime this week. Um, this is There's just no way to run a modern college football program, fire your coach, and not lose a good chunk of both your recruiting class and your portal class. Now, the, the flip side of that is that you then have a very small window to win them all back uh, because of the uh, new signing day periods as shifting and of the, the transfer portal reopening. So I think that I would actually flag as a concern 
trying to hire someone who keeps your recruits. Cause I think what you've kind of listed in all these, in all these coaches that wild hack has hired so far, they've all been inside the building um, with the, ex- with the, with the exception of legit Jack, who had been in the building earlier that year, multiple times as part of her uh, recognition as a player there. Wild hack has shown that he obviously wants, he's very comfortable hiring people that he knows really well. I think that that's why Tony white is top of mind for everybody here, because it fits the, it fits the pattern that wild hack has shown so far. Like Tony White was in the building for three years here. They probably still have each other's agents' phone numbers. There's probably already been contact there, to be completely frank. Um, But unless you're going to get somebody this week, unless you're going to have a press conference next week where you're going to say, like, hey, uh, season's over, my team's off into a bowl game, but, like, I'm, I'm leaving to become head coach, at that point, I don't think it matters about trying to keep the class together because... The, the boat's already passed at that point. And I, I, this is again, culture ball changed so drastically the last few years that this is one of those very real elements that you now have to navigate and go into the calculus of firing a head coach, which is why I think it's really interesting that wild hack felt so strongly to make that move, even though Syracuse still had one game left where they could reach bowl eligibility. So everyone, really, we are everyone. We are just quickly. Uh, we are Iowa fans next week. Uh, Nebraska plays Iowa next week, and Nebraska needs a win to get to bowl eligibility. So, if you do want Tony White as the next Syracuse head coach, uh, you should root for Iowa next week and its defense to um, to basically take care of Nebraska, so that Syracuse can talk to Tony White in a very quick fashion. Yeah, if I could convince, <laughs> hey, listen, can I just throw a Steelers jersey on and pretend like it's the same colors? Pro- yeah, um, same same offense too. It is. Same, it, same. I was gonna say. Yeah, it's literally. Like, yeah. <laughs> but Andy, anyway. that was that wasn't a point I was gonna bring up. Um, kind of on that front, I think the other thing I forget who brought it up in our Slack channel, but it was basically at this. I think it was actually Kevin. The decision of basically it sounded like it was either extend him or fire him. It, it sounded like lame, lame duck option for the most part was off the table. I think we, what we were rolling to right now is the significance of this hire happening now. Cause we mentioned the changes in college football and specifically with Syracuse's case. And that's only going to get crazier with the new schedule format with the ACC um, continuous use of the transfer portal. These factors are going to matter moving forward. I think that they're basically trying to find that next leader to, to kind of maneuver that yeah um also not to continually beat a dead horse here but i found athlon's grades for the 2015 coaching cycle syracuse was given the uh was given an a plus for hiring uh dino the other a plus is matt campbell at iowa state which yep that yeah um, mm-hmm. that that checks uh out. yep willie fritz at tulane yep 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 yeah um mm-hmm. Mark Richt at Miami, LOL. Hey. Just, Justin, uh, Fuente, Justin Fuente at nope. uh, Virginia Tech. Nope. Um, and the coaches rank uh, the coach hirings that were ranked below Dino Babers um, include uh, Jason Candle at Toledo. <laughs> uh, well, LOL. well. <laughs> Um, it also includes, sorry, the other, oh, it includes the hire at, uh, 
sorry, one more small school, but the one that stands out to me is that uh, they rated Dino Babers as a better hire than Kirby Smart at Georgia. So, you know, <laughs> this whole thing, uh, mm-hmm. none of it matters. It's all made up. Uh, it's, you know, we, we're going to try to judge it in the moment, but we're going to be wrong. We are going to be remarkably wrong about however we grade grade this hire. This right. is just, just because you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Andy, just because you said Georgia, I do gotta have to get one word in here. Um, I went and looked at the recruiting class for next year. If you notice that our the top two recruits, Jamie Tremble, the four star tight end, and Jakari Williams, the borderline four star QB prospect. He's a high three, four on uh, one of the sites, are both Georgia guys. And Tremble's high school is 20 minutes away from Bobby Dodd. And uh, Williams' high school is about about an hour away from Atlanta. Hmm. So that makes me think about the timing of are we selling our two our top two recruits that we are serious about still competing next year and they are not going to like if we keep going with whatever this is that kind of just popped up spontaneously but any thoughts on that like these- no, i mean i i think it's valid like there was multiple su staffers that i saw walking like the way georgia tech's campus is set up is actually kind of fun it's like yeah. right in the heart of atlanta Mm-hmm. Um, very, very walkable. And so you tailgate pretty much right on campus near the stadium, uh, with the one road that kind of leads in and out. Um, the other road is right next to the stadium and is very heavily controlled. They do a block party there. So, um, there were multiple Syracuse groups walking by with admin staff, uh, that I recognize from my, from my old jobs and lots of, what looked to be parents of, of program members or parents, you know, of a certain age group that would align with the players on the field. Um, my assumption is that this was a game that was a, both a alumni fundraising stopping opportunity and a family slash recruit visiting weekend kind of, kind of vibe. So that all would track really well if it's like I because I think, again, something that's gone wrong this year is that Syracuse has looked bad in every showcase game that it has had. Like the Virginia Tech game went not according to script. This game, primetime on ACC Network, real bad. Um, We don't need to talk about the three big games that we had back to back to back weeks. Those went very, very bad, but we knew those were going to go very bad, but they went very, very, very bad. Purdue is punching the air right now and not being (laughs) a primetime game. I mean, that's the crazy part is that we started the year with that Purdue game. And even then there were people that were coming away from that Purdue game going, I don't think Syracuse looks very good. (laughs) Well, then again, that's what Purdue gets for playing on Big Ten Saturday night instead of the ACC network and its uh, ESPN partner, whatever. Uh, Listen. Well, well, that's why why, uh, NBC has Syracuse influence right now on the Big Ten because of Noah Eagle. Oh, yeah, Steve, if you can tell, this is just uh, lots of fun. We've had some Pascaloni references. We, t- we brought up the ghosts of the 2015 um, uh, coaching hiring cycle, which is always fun. But you know what we haven't brought up? 
Our partner, Homefield Apparel. Guys, they are in the middle of a giant Black Friday sale. Use promo code BF20 for 20% off your entire order of t-shirts, caps, fleece on the site. It's a big weekend for Homefield. Definitely get those holiday shopping orders in. And if you would like an additional 10% off your order and you've yet to purchase anything from Homefield Apparel, use promo code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3 for 10% off your first order and get one of those sick bomber jackets that Christian's showing. I'm wearing my very retro brand Homefield sweater. I've got the Cuse hat on. Um, I was decked out in Homefield head to toe this weekend. Might have convinced somebody to buy the Georgia Tech bomber jacket. Connor, uh, I'm expecting my check to be in the mail tomorrow. I'm currently wearing black in mourning instead of uh, <laughs> many home fields. So, hey, the Bills won today. Be happy. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. You're looking better than you did on week one. Yeah, yeah, baby steps, I guess. Baby steps. Um, baby step things that we should probably start inching into this conversation with. Um, there are a lot of names out there for this job. Um, there's too many names out there for this job. I am intrigued at if anybody here has any strong opinions about any of the names that aren't Sean Lewis or Tony white, because I think that those are the obvious two names that are like, those are the two on every single person's list, which means that those are the two that are definitively getting calls or have already received calls from Syracuse in regards to this job. Um, it's everybody else that I'm intrigued about considering that um, there's a lot of different directions that they can go in this hire. Uh, get it out of the way quick. We don't need round two of Doug Marone. I'm sorry. To be fair, th- that is a better idea than some of the stupid shit we've seen tossed around. It is not a good yes. idea, and we should not do it, but it's a better idea than some of the shit that's been flying around. Um, All right. And then I don't know second, why Kevin has second, Nathaniel. I, guess. I don't know why Kevin has Nathaniel Hackett on his list. I will be speaking to him about that and to the media <laughs> staff about that. It yes, Steve you, Steve, you missed it, but we have already verbally agreed. No, no big names, <laughs> ideally if possible, at least like more experienced big names, shall we say? You yeah. know, here's actually who they might actually go for. If if we're going along the trends of maybe not Syracuse ties, but at least local ties to the region, and Andy and Steve probably can already tell where I'm going to go with this based on what I said. They might seriously consider Mike Hart. That was one that I thought was going to be interesting considering the the Michigan stuff and how it breaks like I don't I don't know that we're sure that the assistant coaches weren't a bigger per like a bigger role in that scandal than Harbaugh and I don't know like look I think if you offered the job to Hart he'd take the job in a heartbeat no pun intended but there's I think that there's some real concern reaching out to someone like him in this spot, but I am waiting for the mountains of Syracuse fans slash adjacent alumni to the program who start throwing out names like that, because, um, you know, I, we were, we were talking about this before the show, 
Um, so Steve, you haven't heard this yet, but um, Bruce Feldman over the, on the athletic head college football writer put out his list of names that people are talking about for the, for the job. Mm-hmm. And that list includes some long shot guys, as he calls them, which are Syracuse tied football community guys. Uh, Eagles offensive line coach, Jeff Stoutland. Okay. Where's his and uh, Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Onorumo. Um, so Stoutland played at Syracuse and he began his coaching career uh, at yeah. Syracuse under Pascaloni and Onorumo uh, similarly began his coaching career uh, in the early nineties at Syracuse. Lou Onorumo would be the biggest heist of the fucking century. Just mainly because, mainly because, yes, his first, his next job, his job next year is not going to be Bengals DC. It's going to be a head coach, but it's going to be the first head coach hired in the yeah. NFL recruiting cycle. If Syracuse mm-hmm. somehow pulls that off, it is the biggest heist of the fucking century. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When Pregler, when you said uh, local ties, I thought you were talking about Matt Patricia. <laughs> oh, we, we, we X that we X that out right away because okay. I I'm immediately going no New England coaches. I was going to say because he grew up down the road like 40 minutes away. He grew up. I get his, it. He went to the no Indians, so. New England coaches. <laughs> yes, yeah, Steve, you weren't here for the conversation of we don't need the genius that makes people practice outdoors when they play in a dome. <laughs> Ask the Lions about that. Fair. Fair. And uh, the Bill O'Brien getting on every list concerns me. Or me too. it's also and Bill L- O'Brien's L- agent. On every list. Don't forget Urban Meyer. He still finds a way. <laughs> Coach O. I think Coach O showed up on most things. Like what? what I have seen him about? at least three or four times in the article I put out this morning. I nearly at vomited least. when Pete Thamble mentioned how Golden was a consideration. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Uh, let's let's pay. Uh, you know, uh, well, actually, you know what? Uh, Jimbo might come and coach for free because he's making seven and a half million a year on his buyout. <laughs> let's, also, let's let's all note. Let's all step. Let's all take a step back and just for everyone listening and watching, just take a step back and realize what we've mainly said are names that Syracuse should not go after. Right. This is all <laughs> mocking those names. Yeah. Like so, great, great people, I'm sure. However, should not be anywhere near this. So, you, if you have a suggestion, think carefully, because <laughs> there are a lot of reasons why Syracuse shouldn't go after a lot of the big higher names. Yeah, I actually kind of wrote wrote about this uh, today on on my Substack while I was sitting in the Atlanta airport. Um, the the biggest issue that I have is that all of these names that you're talking about were good head coaches in the pre NIL transfer portal world. That's that's what you're, yeah, you're essentially looking at these guys and you're going, well, you were good once. And why should the reason that you were good then translate now when culture is fundamentally different. And if you're going with that level of unproven commodity, where you're essentially looking for some sort of proof of concept plan from these guys, just go with the hotshot coordinator then, because Financially, if you hire, like, let's say, for example, Sean Lewis does decide to change his mind and, and take the Syracuse job. There's been reporting out there by Stephen Godfrey and, and Richard Johnson that that Sean Lewis has zero interest in the Syracuse job. 
Um, let, let's assume that he takes the job and he, in four years, turns Syracuse around to where they're going eight and four pretty consistently. At that point, Syracuse has given him an extension. And if another team, say, from the Big Ten or the SEC wants to hire him or the NFL wants to hire him, they have to pay a buyout. And Syracuse then gets that buyout money to use on the next coach. And I think that exactly like that's that's the best case scenarios here for Syracuse is you hire a young guy that gets you to where you want to go. And then him leaving gives you enough money to lock down the next guy who is going to cost more. But uh, you now suddenly have a giant pile of cash because your hotshot young guy uh, got up and 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 left. And, and so uh, when you go with the big name, the only reason you go with the big name is because the program's energy levels are so lethargic that you need to have someone like that to revive it. And I do think there's a valid point to be made that that is where Syracuse football has been trending. I don't know if they're there, but I'm not going to say they're not there. And, you know, Steve, you're, you being the one that actually lives in central New York and, and sees this, like, I think the last few years have been influenced by basketball, not being good as well, but it does seem as if the football program bottom hasn't completely fallen out in terms of fan support. I, you know what sounds stupid uh, is that those three games this year where the wheels fell off uh, may have dropped the bottom out. Like, not not completely gone. And in all honesty, maybe that is the pulse that forced SU to make this move when it did. Because uh, even in the local, like, my group of like 10 plus tailgaters and season ticket hold 10, 10 plus families of tailgating and season ticket holding uh, for the wake game. Like there's, there was little to no interest whatsoever. Like, I think there was one or two people talking about it. So when people that have had season tickets for 10 plus years are having trouble, like rationalizing, going to a home game, something's broken somewhere. And maybe this, you know, Syracuse has notoriously been horrible at reading the room, but maybe they accidentally read the room right on this one. If that makes any sense. No, no, I think that's definitely correct. But like Andy, but to Andy's point also, I also do think that uh, it's not time to go for a Meyer Fisher or Gerard name yet. It's just not that time. No, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, if they get this next tire wrong, then maybe yeah. But I I mean when you I I just going going back to the um just looking to where the last Syracuse head coaches came from. Um so Gerg was Texas uh co defensive coordinator, uh, but was also defensive coordinator with the late nineties Broncos and the early two thousand Chiefs. Um then, then Doug Marone was, uh, you know, with the Saints um, when they were starting to get good under Sean Payton, um, and then Schaefer was uh, was the main guy as the defensive coordinator on Marone's staff. So, 
essentially it's been, you know, coaches with a lot of pedigree. It's been coordinators, I should say, with a lot of pedigree. Now, I'm not for the reasons we mentioned earlier in this um, in this uh, podcast. Does Wild Hack continue that trend, or does he go with the trend that he has gone with, which is person with Syracuse ties, um, who will inevitably change the culture to something very, very modern. That's that's going to be the decision where they where they where they have to go. Ken, does that person exist that has Syracuse ties and would change the culture to something modern? And the only person, honestly, close to that is unfortunately Tony White. Yeah. That's exactly what my thought was, was there's there's kind of a option there. Yeah. And there's a reason why this podcast title is a boom box outside Tony White's house. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that and it's like, okay, yeah, going full 16 candles makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Now, for you young kids, this is a reference to an <laughs> 80s movie. <laughs> We're you don't, you don't want to though. think about... You are. You were you like next to think... when that movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't know it exists. Come on. <laughs> Actually, no. You were like negative 20. Jesus. Steve's they were pretty bad. <laughs> uh, damn it. You did it to yourself. No, I but did. I think this is the interest. I think this is the interesting thing about, about Tony White when we look at this is that Yes, he's got a lot of good experience. He's not been a D1 head coach. Um, and I do think that it's we, – we kind of talked about it earlier. Like, this is going to be a hard gig, and Tony White does have the option to hang out with his buddy Matt Rule, who really seems to like him, and uh, keep him around until – you know, another job opens up of some kind, because if there's one thing that we've seen from Nebraska this year is that Matt rule has really turned around a season that was starting badly from a program that was going badly. Um, And they might be cooking something special down there. I'm not saying that they are. It's just the, the, the signals are there for something interesting, but that only makes me want Tony white more. (laughs) I mean, this is also you who, even if we weren't firing Dino, would still want Tony White. Yes. I, I, yes. I mean, I have, <laughs> I might have a blind spot. He might be named Tony and, White. It's fine. And honest, and honestly, like Michigan scandal aside, that's probably why Mike Hart is probably even still an option, even with the whole Michigan scandal right now. So, like, I know he doesn't have direct Syracuse ties, but like he knows that area very well. Who? And Hart coached here. Yeah, that that too. And oh, yeah. grew up here. <laughs> yeah. It's mm-hmm. as direct as it gets. Yeah. That said though, I think, you know, do here's the stupid question. Do you worry about where they're recruiting? like histories are from just because we finally have seen a resurgence in like getting back into New Jersey and that sort of thing. Just like the, you know, I, looking at the Nunzio. I, uh, I don't necessarily think so because especially in football, you have 10 head, co- you have 10 coaches. 
who are going to help you recruit. It's not like with basketball and lacrosse where you're limited to four. Right. So you have 10 guys to spread out across the country. I mean, Dino didn't even touch New Jersey until Nunzio Campanelli joined the program. Right. So, like, that is a that is something that can be solved with bringing in the right staff. And I, I'm not so worried about that in terms of okay, we we need to hire this guy because we need a specific region. Um, I'm I'm more worried about you know, setting the right culture. Uh, have we discussed the dumb that is uh, wild heck with nothing to lose if we win these two games doing something stupid and promoting Nunzio? <sighs> I know it's not going to happen, but there's always that slight but- Everyone gave the awkward silences and like there is a theoretical world that's gonna happen. They're going to win. They're gonna go six and six and make it to a bowl, and then we're gonna have that awkward month of uh is this actually working? Right. And right (laughs) now, did we discuss that we're all Iowa fans next week? Yes, we have. Yes. (laughs) We have discussed we are all Iowa fans next week. Um shout out (laughs) that Iowa Nebraska game is going to be a masterclass of defense. Yeah. Not so yeah. much offense. <laughs> Is it going to be defense Everybody by the under? Though? Oh, it's the, the over under for that game should be fascinating to see. Hammer the under. I don't care what it is. Hammer, Hammer the, the under. under. Hammer it. <laughs> yep. God. Yeah, that's uh, wow. This, this is such a weird ass world we're living in right now. If Syracuse gets bowl eligible, when, the bowl makers have something. Said it's going to happen. <laughs> it, yeah, this is. No, if Syracuse gets bowl eligible, the odds make the um the bowl makers have some, have a very funny opportunity. Put Syracuse Army in the military bowl. Hades about to run for the hills. Don't tell me that yeah. if it shows up on the prediction, I have to do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I like, please. I, I, yeah, no, no, we're just not doing that. No. <laughs> I um, mean, just, just for the sake of they already played each other this year, is it? Is I, I, know, I know, I know, I know, but it, no, I, I know. Really, I'm really just funny. saying, is, it, is that an actual thing that, like, that bowl, whoever the bowl organ, organizers are, probably wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, probably. Even though the game itself would be hysterical just because they've already played but each other. That would also be part of the reason why it'd be really funny. Yeah. I mean, if we make a bowl game, we're going to the Fenway Bowl, and we're going to play a really weird team. Um, I forget what I USF, saw on the line. I think was the, well, what was the other one, one last week? Um, Tulane always is in those uh, projections too. USF. I think uh, our, our past co-hosts or our past hosts on this uh, this year's show would uh, implode if it was SU Tulane in the Fenway Bowl. <laughs> does, does Casillo okay. have to come in for that? Is he contractually obligated if SU plays too late? He, he has to. He he has to take his family on a Christmas trip to Boston. <laughs> I'm just they're, not, they're not. They're not spending Christmas in Southern California. 
I'm just going to be blasting shipping up to Boston the entire the entire <laughs> intro every week if that's the case and you're it's going to be ridiculously annoying. And we'll have um, to what like 37 seconds so that we're able to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you all will still hear the whole thing. Like we'll we'll clip it so that we could use it, but like you all will still be forced there to listen go. to it. Um I'm it would be really weird to go into a situation where Syracuse is playing a bowl game, has an announced head coach, but still has a different staff coaching the team up into the bowl game. Like, if we really want, if we want to be the messy team, uh, this is the way to do it. It would also mean that, like, this is the second time that Syracuse has gone to back-to-back bowl games, which is a rare occurrence, and yet the coach in each of those bowl games is different. Um, so. <sighs> Yeah, I just like want to throw that out that that'll be a thing that'll happen two times in my lifetime if they win Saturday. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did not think that that was the kind of uncertainty Syracuse was going to bring us. But uh, yeah, this is this is setting up to be a weird week because we have the Thanksgiving holiday, and like I said, I think that there's a very legitimate possibility Syracuse already has their guy, and so like if it's Lou, Hamill's I'm been on top. <laughs> I am, that'd be amazing like Thamel has his guy there like he was the first with this news he's obviously connected to Syracuse he's connected to a lot of head coaches like if there is any whiff of that of a coach being named Thamel is going to break it and it's going to be uh it'll happen as soon as he gets the news so I'm I'm just intrigued to see if we get get an announcement of any kind this week or a report. I could I could go for a really right. good report this week <laughs> from sauces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what happens when the entirety of the uh, broadcast uh, and journalism uh, end of things is SU grads. So I have good news. So I have good news and bad news. What's that? So the good uh, news. No. So good news and bad news. The good news is that Wake Forest is averaging the worst amount of yards per play in the ACC at 4.8. Okay. The bad news is are we the second worst? <laughs> no, the bad news is that Wake Forest has the fifth best rushing defense at an average of four yards per play. Yeah, that tracks. Nothing surprises me. So you know what that also means? We shall be hammering the under in this game as well. Which you know what will actually happen is we go off for another 400 yards of run def- or <laughs> rushing against the best defense in the league, and yeah, stupid ensues. Well, Pitt was well, 11th, so. Now, this is where Dan Villari rediscovers how to be a quarterback quarterback and throws for like 250 yards, just for the heck of it. That sounds oh, great. so Tommy DeVito. Yeah. Tommy DeVito I got... needed was an offensive line. I still maintain we should have stuck with DeVito. I believe there is audio evidence of me and you both saying stick with DeVito. He's, yeah, yeah. There's a long, long history of our our track record on this podcast. I, I still think it's very funny. A friend reminded me this week that I, when Tommy DeVito was recruited to Syracuse, I proclaimed that he was going to be an NFL starting quarterback by the time all, all was said and done. And, uh, that take has now come to pass. I was right. I would just like that to be known. I was right on that one specific take. Do not think about it too hard. Uh, I, I called hey. the Tommy DeVito was going to so be an NFL starting around, Don't Tom, dig around that time for more old takes exposed. 
Tommy <laughs> DeVito has more touchdown passes this year than the number two overall pick from two years ago. Who was that? One Zachariah Wilson. <laughs> oh god. I mean Mr. You're I was... doing it to yourself mentioning that, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Robert Sala, but boy, did you guys need to get the quarterback. Listen, I, I'll put you in touch with Rich for some therapy. Please. I mean, I and, and Christian, this is coming from two Steelers fans. After whatever happened today as well. Uh, Kenny's broken. That's what happened. <laughs> the thing is, Kenny needs the game to be close in the fourth quarter for it to win. It was close, and they didn't win because he. I'm saying, like, honestly, Matt Canada broke him. Yeah, a twenty, a twenty-five-year-old quarterback coming off one good season—that's that's the guy you want to hit your hopes and dreams to. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not salty or anything. Uh, this is going to be a weird. This is a weird show, just because. Yeah, Syracuse now has its first head coaching search underway since 2015 for a head football coach. And unlike the basketball version, we didn't get an announcement of who's going to be the guy uh, with the announcement of firing the old guy. Always going to be always going to appreciate how that went down. If only because there was no uncertainty in, in that, in that process. Right. So, a lot of uncertainty dude, this here. Sh- this should actually hopefully come quick. If you go by past timelines, because Babers was hired on December 5th. So I mean, you you have to now. Like, if you yeah. if you wait, you're go, you're basically punting on 2024, which I don't think Syracuse is in a position yeah. to afford to do. Mm-hmm. No, you can't, especially when the schedule got easier with the uh, n- with the all coastal conference. <laughs> um, the trademark. Oh, ser- they seriously. I how have they not trademarked it yet? What are you guys waiting for? But anyway. They can't waste 2024 because you know 25 is going to be a nightmare. That doesn't mean you just say, well, we that we start rebuilding now and maybe you're okay in 26. You still have, even with the guys you're going to lose this year, whether they graduate or they hit the portal, there's still enough talent combined with the incoming class, assuming at least some of the big guys stick around, that you can still have a good year next year. And also with whoever's coming in, you now maybe don't have those uh, great expectations that Babers has had the last couple of years that he's fallen short of. So without that pressure, you could surprise a lot of people. And not only that, you're throwing in for all those schedules moving forward, having to play just one of Clemson or FSU in the same season. You don't have to like double up and play both, which is always a nightmare. I think the only really big schedule thing down the road is honestly just still having Notre Dame on the books and then having Penn State on the books like in those later years. But like for the most part, like the schedule, especially in twenty four, like we did, a, you did a whole breakdown, and there's only like what four or five teams at absolute best. That's like okay, historically this team should win. Other than that, they're all pretty much toss ups or historically favor Syracuse or Syracuse from a talent perspective is about the same. So like, there's a really good outlook for next year, which I think again is going to make this search really just kind of intriguing of how fast that the re the retool will call it uh, will be. Now to kind of wrap this all up. Andy, given your experience this weekend, hmm. are you still going to go back to Atlanta in 2025? 
Oh, I'm already going back for both games in 2025. That's been decided. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, remember, we're going to Atlanta twice in 2025. And, and the schedule makers have a really funny opportunity to make that Georgia Tech game the second game of the season. <laughs> they won't. It's going to be. They will uh, not, but it'll be really, really funny. <laughs> Honestly, it was probably going to be this week again. Um, I it was it's really because this week is SoCon Saturday and across, and Georgia Tech really knows what's going to happen when they play Georgia. They like this game yeah. to be their mm-hmm. last, you know, chant. Like again, they were. I will say this: Georgia Tech hyped to make a bowl game. Man, they were they were really into what happened this season and being six and five, like they're going to be very happy to be six and six. That's because Georgia check Georgia tech just went through their own Greg Robinson phase. Yes, exactly. And it's there, but yeah, uh, I, I think it's going to happen quick. It's going to, I'm going to go back to Atlanta again. Um, Just a reminder for everybody transfer portal opens on December 4th. So yeah, we should probably make a decision before that. (laughs) Yeah. That's if you're going to do if you're going to do this when you do it, you need to have somebody in place so that no like you minimize jumping ship, but also can maximize people coming the other way when the portal opens. When did John Wildhack call Tony White slash Tony White's agent? Was it earlier this ago. month? Yeah. OK, good. That's what I thought. <laughs> Definitely two weeks ago. <laughs> if there was any inkling that uh, that this was going to go down, he should have been on the phone. What are the odds? What are the odds right now on Connor Stallions becoming a Caesar? Because I, I couldn't say that seriously. Stop it! Stop no. it! No, you can bring Mike Hart in on the staff. No, oh, you missed yeah. that part, Steve. <laughs> we did discuss that. Yeah. Uh, so, again, as I said when I joined, I mean, this is why we can't have nice things. Technically speaking, Dom and I are open to be grad assistants next year. <laughs> no. We can help out where we can. <laughs> can confirm. I have zero years of eligibility left and also no knees or back or ankles or shoulders. I am also out Also, of you'd be just as effective as the right side of the offensive line. Pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Can't wait to see that. Um, I feel like this is a good good place to just end this before we get <laughs> I mean, into a dark Before place. we stumble into more degeneracy yes. at Sicko's Committee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the uh, the S is for sickos now. I was yeah. the sickos have been loving it. They've been loving it lately. You know, we were wondering about off-season content, especially with, like, James doing the basketball stuff, so we don't have to touch on that as hard. Um, I don't think we're going to have that problem. Yeah, we're not going to have to worry about this now. Oh, boy. Trying I to look at the things here, guys. <laughs> no, we can talk about football for a lot, which is a great thing. I'm very excited about this. Um, Let's just all avoid the state of New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, you oh, had to get that. the other football in there somewhere. All right, that I is mean, it. Well, that that's our brand, okay? <laughs> Hashtag brand. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was disappointing for anyone who doesn't know what Christian's talking about. What was it? Three nil. Yeah, it was three nil. Yeah. So Syracuse is officially done with their 2023 uh, soccer campaign. Uh, right as it felt like they were kind of finding themselves uh, getting knocked out of the NCAA tournament 3-0 at New Hampshire. Um, I did not get to watch the game. I was uh, working a Comic-Con for my buddy, 
which was fun in its own right, but did not allow me to see either the Georgia Tech mess or the game today. So, yeah. And you're better off for it. Yeah, I think it worked out better in both cases. I saw about 30 seconds of it because it was 1-0. I turned it on. It immediately became 2-0. And that was the end of the story. So yep. Sounds about right. They won right, the Andy's last been trying game. to end this for the they... past three minutes. Let's end it. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, Sorry, Andy. This is the... No, no, no. I just... This is, this is going to be... Uh, we're going to have many of these shows. It's going to be a great time. Just slow um, it is but... over time. Yeah, exactly. But that is it for the Disloyal Idiot Show. Thank you to everybody who watched. Thank you for Dom and Mike for jumping on and joining the crew. Um, as always, make sure that you like and subscribe this episode on your podcast player of choice. It helps us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Thank you for those of you, uh, those of you who joined us on Twitch uh, over at Twitch Disloyal Idiots. Reminder, we do this pretty much every Sunday at 8, so you can watch along live and get this before anybody else. Um, thank you to all of our friends over at newsmagician.com, who if you're reading this on News Magician or post listening to this on News Magician, uh, we really do appreciate their continued support and your continued support reading us uh, over there. That uh, note, is... If you are hearing this on the podcast, pod, uh, doing great today, podcast feed of your choice, uh, you will also now be seeing uh, every other podcast or so a Syracuse basketball podcast. Continue to tune in and listen to that. That is one the one and only James Zuba and various guests discussing the state of uh, one Red Autry's team. I was on the pod last on, on the latest episode. So go check it out. And by go check it out, I still have to upload it, but I will momentarily. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, but cannot wait for what is going to now be the football coaching search show it is going to be a lot of fun cannot wait to talk sauces next week with everybody go orange that canada for syracuse i coach 2023 god help us all go orange go orange go orange